I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Wednesday, you know what that means, stoppage time, 2 o'clock. We're taking your soccer questions, Atlanta United, U.S. men's national team, U.S. women's national team, Gold Cup, Olympics, silly season, we don't care. We'll talk whatever soccer you want to talk. Drop your questions in the comment section below, and we'll get started. Next 48 hours are going to be really eventful. You know, we're going to have a Gold Cup semifinal tomorrow night, Atlanta United in Orlando on Friday. Um, sounds like things are progressing on Almada. I, I don't know if that's going to happen in the next 48 hours or not, but certainly reports from credible sources would make that sound like that is progressing. You're going to have the women's national team playing Holland in a World Cup final rematch in the uh, round of 16 at the Olympics. World Cup final rematch. Uh, very difficult. However, I actually like the U.S. women's draw a little bit better than than say the opposite half of the bracket, Sweden's half, if you will, but we can get into that later. <laughs> uh, but lots to talk about over the next hour. So as Jason said, send us your comments and your questions at the bottom of your screen. I, I guess starting just with Atlanta United, uh, kind of club news today, Rob Valentino made it sound like Jake Mulraney's not going to play in Orlando on Sunday. 
Barco and Argentina and Almada, for that matter, they are out now at the Olympics. They had a draw against Spain today. We were talking just before we came on. Uh, I I don't know if Barco can get back here in time to play in Montreal on Wednesday. This is going to be tricky for a couple different reasons. Uh, but long story short, um, the fact that the next match Atlanta United plays after Orlando is in Canada. And I, I can just tell you from Jason and I's perspective, because, you know, we're traveling with the team again, and there are a lot of hoops you have to jump through just to get into Canada right now. I don't know if it's like fully realistic that you could have Barco by Wednesday. It does, at the very least, we know you're going to get Barco back maybe a little bit sooner than you expected. So that that is kind of the optimistic half of that. But um, yeah, I don't know if it's a guarantee that Barco is going to be available for selection on Wednesday. It might be one of those deals where you have to wait until next Saturday against Columbus. And for that matter, I, I don't know about your men's national team guys and if you're going to be able to get them available for selection on Wednesday. But at least help is on the way. You know the U.S. men's national team, they're going to be done Sunday at the latest. Barco is done now. So you're getting really, really close. Mulraney, that was unfortunate today to hear that. But you are getting really, really close to being able to field a first-choice group minus Emerson Heinemann, who's out for the year. Yeah, the parts we don't know. I mean, the, the men's national team guys, you would think, because they're in the country, could be back in Atlanta pretty quick and be available to take that trip to, to Montreal. I think those are... Those can be navigated. Those are more easily navigated. We don't know how quickly Ezekiel Barco can return to Atlanta. We don't really know what that looks like. Um, I don't believe there's any issues with a quarantine period coming back from Japan, coming back from a bubble scenario at the Olympics. But just getting to Atlanta, I don't know what that looks like for Ezekiel Barco. So the U.S. national team, guys, I would – hope are at least available for Wednesday. Somebody like Miles Robinson might not play on Wednesday because he's going to play a lot of minutes over these next, hopefully, two games. George Bellow maybe would be more of an option for Wednesday. Brad Gazan would be available for Wednesday if all goes well, and I would expect that they would be able to be reintegrated in pretty quickly since they're in the country. Uh, Barco, we just don't know, and, and the Tiago Almada stuff is, is even a step further in, in what we don't know right now. It's It's been reported, if, if you guys haven't seen it, uh, Fabrizio Romano is reporting this on the European side. Cesar Luis Merlo is reporting this uh, on the Argentine side. Final stages of the negotiations to get Almada transferred from Vélez Arsfield to Atlanta United should be completed soon. Could happen um, once... Almada returns to Argentina, where he is returning after the Olympics now that their time is done. Surprisingly, people expected Argentina to go further in this tournament. That first loss ended up doing them in. Almada was the most highly rated player on SofaScore from the Argentine team, used as a second-half sub throughout the tournament, one of the younger players in the group. Barco started all three matches, uh, played about... 190 minutes or so in the Olympics. Uh, played well, was the fourth highest rated player overall for Argentina during the tournament, was creating chances for others, more than a chance per game. Uh, was very involved, passing numbers were good, winning duels was good. Barco had a good three games. You know, I know that's going to lead to the questions of, well, are there going to be offers coming in for Barco? The fact that they didn't get to the knockout round is going to hurt that a little bit because that would have given the opportunity for him to, to shine with a bigger spotlight. 
there are always people watching these games very, very closely, and Barco did nothing to hurt his chances of a move and I think helped them with his performances at the Olympics. We'll see. And, and Ezekiel Barco, being with Tiago Almada throughout this tournament, could end up being one of the biggest assists that Ezekiel Barco's ever had for Atlanta United if Almada comes and, and says that, yeah, being with Barco and talking to him about Atlanta, that really helped me make this decision. So I'm, I'm hopeful that all that goes well because Almada is an incredibly talented young player that is very versatile and fits the style of what Atlanta United wants out of their young signings. Yeah, and I guess maybe we should just recap where that all stands right now because I know there have been a variety of reports from a lot of different sources, some more credible than others out of Argentina. But I, I think the, the consensus of the reporting right now, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, is it sounds like Atlanta United and Velez are pretty much on the same page right last now. Last hour, yes. That is that is what's being reported. Um, in the last hour, Fabrizio Romano and Cesar Luis Merlo on both sides of the Atlantic are reporting that it is in the final stages. It is very, very close to being done. Um, I think this morning one of the reports was talking about the, the sell-on fee or what that would look like in a future sale. That's where you're getting down to some of the nitty-gritty here. But it sounds like it is all but done. Um, once he returns from Japan, he can do the medical in Argentina. They can finalize everything and get this done before the MLS window closes on August 5th. Um, I know some people are asking, how can they make, how can Atlanta United make this work from a salary standpoint? Because this might be a little bit confusing. And I know... Yeah. I've heard young money might be used in this now to make this work. I've seen reports slash rumors that uh, maybe a player can be bought down to TAM level from designated player. I've seen other theories uh, kind of floating out there that Almada might have to take a discount to make the. No one really knows for sure. Uh, and I this is where I wish MLS would be much more transparent and clear with people like us opposed to just the clubs, people like us to understand like, okay, can they use young money to sign a guy like Almada? And what does that mean as far as the overall wage bill for the team is concerned and being cap compliant? We just don't know the answers to that right now. But obviously if things have progressed to the point where they're reportedly at right now, it sounds like however Atlanta United is going to find a way to get this done, they have a plan in place. Here's all we can do with this kind of stuff when this comes up because it's not the NBA, it's not the NFL, it's not the National Hockey League, it's, it's not a, a cap league where we know what mechanisms are available to bring a player in. We don't know all of that here. We don't have enough information. But like Mike said, if it gets to this point, the team is not going in with blinders on and then get to sign the contract and say, oh, wh wh wait a minute, how do we do this now? That's not that's not how anybody works. So they have a way to do it. How are they going to do it? I don't know. They're, the options are going to come down to one or the other of a designated player signing or a U-22 Young Money Initiative signing. The U-22 side of it, he would be a $150,000 cap hit if his salary is under 612000 and some change, somewhere in that ballpark per year, which is possible. Is it, you know, definite? Again, we don't know. But is it possible? Sure. 
One element we don't know is can a team – because in, in the Young Money Initiative, the transfer fee becomes irrelevant, basically. If their salary is under that threshold of, of 612 and some, and, and some change per year, then the, you can spend whatever you want on the transfer. Now, a lot of times in transfer fees and in transfer you know, monies being paid, the player gets a percentage of it. That's generally in a contract that if they are transferred, they get X percentage, whatever it is. Uh, you get later into your career, you have more say over that, you can negotiate a larger percentage. We don't know what the percentage is for Almada. We don't know if the club could pay a bonus situation, like a signing bonus that is not tied to the salary that would keep you under that threshold to go U22 initiative, Young Money initiative. These are things we don't know. It's a brand new initiative. Of course, every team is going to try to do everything possible to get as many players under that initiative as, as they can, which is three is the cap of doing it, but also stretch every boundary to spend every dollar they can to bring in the best talent. We don't know what this looks like for Atlanta. The designated player portion uh, looks to be pretty easy uh, because all the reporting consistently has been that Alan Franco's number and what we know of his numbers in terms of his cap hit, he can be bought down pretty comfortably because it wasn't a large transfer fee for him. It's stretched over five years. His salary is manageable. Buy him down, make him a TAM player or use allocation money to buy him down under that threshold where he's not a designated player. Almada could step into the designated player spot. So there, there's one of two ways. We just don't know what the salary will be and how creative you can get with shuffling money around to make it fit either way. The young money initiative, you'd have to have one of the players who is in that initiative right now come off of that, and probably Franco Ibarra would be that guy. Um, from just what we're guessing about salaries and transfer fees paid for Ibarra, Sosa, and Eric Lopez. I think Ibarra is the one that is the most manageable to just have as a player on your roster as opposed to a young money initiative. So you're going to have to make some kind of a cap designated designation kind of move, either buy a player out of young money or buy a player out of a designated player spot. Uh, roster spots, it looks like there is one. MLS's website is not always entirely accurate. They have Franco Escobar listed. He is out on loan. There should be a senior roster spot available because there were 19 other players out of the 20. International slots, I think they might need one, but I'm not 100% sure of that. They'll, they'll find a way, so basically, is what matters. They'll figure it out. Yeah, yes. I mean, it, it, they like, don't need our like help in that. No, we can't help them because we don't, we don't, we have don't know. We don't have know you tried this, guys? Uh, have Have you tried this? Yeah, Could this work? Yeah, uh, we we don't really we don't have that kind of pull. <laughs> Not surprising. Yeah. All right, what kind of player and what kind of fit is he going to be? Because I think there's been a little bit of misunderstanding on this front as well. I've I've heard some people say, "Well, now wait a minute, Atlanta United they have way too many attacking midfielders. This is a superfluous signing." to bring in Tiago Almada, it's just going to make that mix more crowded. How would you explain where Almada is going to fit into this current group? Well, you got to also look at the big picture in that Ezekiel Barco is not going to be in Atlanta for five more years, I wouldn't expect. So if you can bring him in, it kind of feels like the Mark Anthony K trade to Colorado, which we had this conversation on, on soccer down here this morning. Colorado now has four guys for three spots, but you have to kind of assume that Cole Bassett will make a move to Europe at some point and or Kellen Acosta will make a move to Europe, which has been rumored in the past. 
So you bring in Mark Anthony K to give depth now and bring in a top player, but also cover for a move that you think is coming. We think Ezekiel Barco will, will go at some point. So the, the crowded nature of it push away for big picture. Short picture, you can still make it work because Almada is very flexible. He has played as a nine, more of a false nine, but as a nine. He has played as a second forward with two up top, but not very often because Velez and Gabriel Heinze didn't normally do that. He can play wide. He can play as a 10 or a central attacking midfielder in the way Atlanta plays and the way he played at Velez Arsfield. Um, he's very flexible in the attack. He is very exuberant, I think is a word that I saw used a lot to describe him, and I would agree with, which is, is, is good because he's very active, work rate is high, he will run at players on the dribble, he will take shots, sometimes maybe too many shots from distance, he doesn't need to force that a little bit, that's something that gets better over time. Um, he's a player who's good on the dribble, he's a player who is good in the press, coming up through Velas and coming up under Heinze will help him with those things. But he can fit in what we've seen under Rob Valentino, and again, we have to remember that a new manager is expected to be coming in soon and could tweak the formation, could tweak some of the tactics. I don't expect a departure, but some tweaks, yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer. So right now, if he came into the team that we saw in the last match, he could play as one of the central attacking midfielders. He could play as either one of the wingers. Four different spots he could factor into. When everybody is here, I could easily see a lineup of Brad Gazan and goal, Bello, Robinson, Walks slash Franco at center back, Lennon at right back, Sosa as the six, Almada and Moreno as the two central midfielders, Barco on one flank. The other flank is up for grabs between Eric Lopez, between Jake Mulraney, between Jurgen Dom, and Joseph Martinez up top. Easily make that work. Uh, we know Almada could slide out wide if you want to. If you feel like you need an extra more defensive midfielder, Ibadra, Sadich could come into the midfield. Ibadra could go to the opposite flank from Barco. We know Moreno can go out wide. There's lots of different permutations of it, but you can easily get Moreno, Barco, Almada on the field together, no problems. That's a pretty darn strong first choice 11. Don't hate it. Yeah. No, not at all. Now, let's say post-2021, let's mm -hmm. say in a world in 2022 where maybe Barco has moved on and Hindman is back. Mm -hmm. Again, we don't know who the new manager will be. We don't know what the formation will be. But it, it, let's say we keep Atlanta United just for the sake of this exercise in a 4-3-3. Then how does it work in a world where Emerson, Hindman, and Mateus Hosatzi are going to be pushing for playing time as well? I think Almada beats out one of them. I think Heinemann right now, from what we've seen, and Hosetu is going to come on the more that he plays. So I, I think we'll have a better sense of that once we see more of him. Hopefully he can stay healthy. Um, Almada will, in my opinion, stay central because I think that's his best spot. Moreno could go wide at that point. And we've seen Moreno wide and central this season. Uh, that would be a possibility. Uh, I don't really expect him to go to more like a diamond midfield, although you'd have the personnel if you wanted to do something like that. You could go 3-5-2, and Almada could be a second forward in a very free role. That could work as well. You want, and, and I don't know why this has become a negative, you want depth. 
and you want a number of players who can do a number of different things because in a perfect world, you're not limited or tied to one formation. Now, we've seen in MLS, Philadelphia with their diamond. We've seen this year, Seattle with their 3-5-2. They've stayed very true to that formation. Now, that's great until you run up against a team that is better at doing what they do than what you do. And you can't change because you have no versatility. You have no flexibility. That can be limiting for teams. In a perfect world, you're able to do what we've seen from Atlanta over the years. Think to 2018 where Tata Martino changed the way the team played going into the postseason. He had the personnel to do it, moving Julian Gressel in as a central midfielder, which wasn't expected, but worked. That was the right move for that time for the way he wanted to play. Think back to 2019. Go up against Philadelphia in the postseason. They're diamond. Frank DeBoard played a 3-5-2 back-to-back games against New England Revolution. He shifted to a 4-3-3 against Philadelphia's diamond, bringing Mikey Ambrose back from the second team to make that work. Got the win. Controlled that game. I mean, just completely dominated that game. Atlanta wants players who are versatile, and they want to have versatility to where they can go 4-3-3, they can go 3-5-2, they can move pieces around depending on what the matchup calls for. If you have talented players, you can do that. So I, I like the move, and I like improving the depth of this team and giving the new manager even more options to work with. Bruno asks, do you think it's a good idea that you sign a player when you don't have that manager yet? There are some players that, yes, it is. And Tiago Almada, who has been linked with not just Marseille, but he was linked with Manchester United very recently. He's been linked with Arsenal. He's been linked with some of the biggest clubs in the world. If you have an opportunity to sign a player like that in Major League Soccer, you take it. And that makes the managerial opening, I think, more attractive. So if you're looking for a depth piece or more of a role player, you might want to wait and see who the manager prefers. If you're looking for a star, you go get the star. Uh, Andrew wants to know, how would you compare Almada to Santiago Moreno? Is there one you would prefer over the other? Um, Santiago Moreno, the, uh, the player that is linked. Oh, where is he linked? I want to make sure I got it. Portland, if I remember correctly. Um, Yeah, he's going to Portland, according to sources. Uh, I don't know the Colombian League as well, so bear with me on that. They're different players, from what I do know. Uh, Moreno is more of a forward than a winger or a 10. Almada is more of a 10 than a forward. So their numbers are going to be very different. I don't know if Atlanta would sign a guy who is primarily a forward in this initiative because you have Joseph Martinez and and that's going to affect your strategies here. Almada being able to be more of a second forward or play in different positions is probably more appealing. I'd have to see Moreno more to be able to tell you if he can be as effective wide or as a 10. I know Almada can in those roles because I've seen it more. So I, I just don't know if Moreno is as much of a fit for what Atlanta needs. Moreno could be a player who scores more goals than Almada because he's more of a forward, and they need more of a forward. Here, I don't know if he would play in that role, so I don't know if he would be as effective. 
Well, um, it's a moot point anyway, because uh, based on all the reporting, it sounds like Almada is going to be the choice, not Santiago Moreno. Uh, as soon as things get confirmed and nailed down and everything, obviously, we'll follow up more on this. But there are other things I want to talk about today other than Tiago Almada. Just really quick, though. I, it might be hard to speculate on a number, especially in a COVID world, because that might affect the numbers a little bit. But as far as the biggest signings in Atlanta United history, how high up the, the ladder does this Almada thing rank, if it ends up happening? In amount or impact? Impact. Impact? Um, when I think back to... Almiron, when I think back to Barco, when I think back to Pitti, those are the three that are in this class. Um, Miguel was rated highly, but not linked with big clubs at the time that he came to Atlanta. Barco was younger, so he was linked with some of those big clubs. Barco was coming off of winning Copa Sudamericana as well. Miguel was coming off of winning the Argentine League. Pitti, a little different because he's a little bit older, so it's a little different conversation. Um, coming off of being South American Player of the Year, winning the Libertadores with, with River. Almada doesn't have that club success. He doesn't have a Libertadores, a Sudamericana, a league title. But Almada has maybe more interest as a player and being a top, top player out of Argentina. Um, to the point that there are people who are like, why are you going to MLS now? You should be in Europe now. Mm -hmm. Well, there's not a deal on the table for Europe. Velez wants money now because they probably need the money now. And I don't think it slows down the process. Is Almada here for a long period of time? No, not if he's as good as we think he is. I think it's, you know, a, a year and a half, two years is what I would think for him. And by that point, he could be in the Argentine national team. I mean, he's he's rated to that kind of a level. So in terms of rating as a player and where they fit, Pitti was the highest because he was older. And, and, and that's, I think, expected. Barco had the most potential attached to him. Miguel ended up being the best player of the three in what he did in Atlanta. Almada has that combination of potential because of his age. He doesn't have as much hype in terms of accomplishments at the club level, but in terms of how people see him as a player, I think he is probably the one who has the most potential of anybody who is coming to Atlanta. It's a, it's a big deal. I do wonder what the amount will be because reportedly yeah. there was – uh, release clause around 21, 22 million euro, I think is the last I saw it reported. I don't think you're going to hit that right now. Um, but it could be the most expensive transfer purchase coming in for Atlanta United. It could be that number. Uh, what was the number on Pitti now? I'm trying to remember that. That did that I think get it to was 20? less. No, I think it was less than Barco. I think Pitti was just under 15. I think Barco was around 15. But okay. both were a little hard to follow because of some of the reporting and how how things were going. Okay, let's switch gears to the search for a new manager, which is ongoing. Rob Valentino is going to coach the team Friday night in Orlando. 
I'd imagine Valentino is going to coach the, the team really through this road trip. It, it, don't look at this as just a one-off road match. This is a week-and-a-half-long road trip. Orlando, they will come back home, and then they're going to go to Montreal, stay out on the road, go to Columbus next Saturday, come back home. I oh, would imagine. Hold on one second. Um, Actually, I, talking about amounts on Santiago Almada, Herman Garcia Grova, who is a very well-respected source out of Argentina, is reporting it at $15 million U.S. Okay. Sounds about right. Yeah, right around right. what we've seen the biggest ones. I think the last player to go for that amount, as Felipe Cardenas speculated on, on Twitter, the last player to go for around that amount out of Argentina was Bitti Martinez. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. So Sorry. there you go. Uh, no, no, it's okay. So anyhow, I think Rob's going to, at the very least, be around for the next three matches, possibly longer. Um, we, of course... Sometimes get some names thrown at us in the comments. What so we let's start with we start with Steve, who brings up Frank Lampard's name. It's not a bad shout. It's really not. Um, Lampard, you know, ended up getting pushed out at Chelsea because the job changed at Chelsea. You know, I, I think we have to remember about Lampard. He got Derby County to a playoff to get into the Premier League. Ultimately, did not. Got the opportunity at Chelsea. You can't say no to that if you're Frank Lampard. Got them into the Champions League in a year that really people didn't expect him to. And then he was able to go out and spend money, or the club was able to go out and spend money, which they weren't expecting to be able to do due to some uh, financial situations and also a uh, transfer ban that was on them. That changed. They went out and they spent a boatload of money last summer. And the expectations changed. Lampard was brought in, and, and the comparison I would make for, for sports fans out there is a lot of what Lloyd Pierce was brought in to do in Atlanta. Lloyd Pierce was brought in to develop players, young players especially, and the job changed. And then it was to win. Well, Lampard, as a young manager, only a little bit of experience for him, didn't win enough to keep his job. I think he struggled defensively. I thought the team at Chelsea was all over the map defensively. Some of that was blamed on an erratic goalkeeper in Keppa, which I would agree with. But even when they brought in Mendy, it still wasn't consistent. But he was committed to attacking soccer. The team scored a lot of goals in his, his first full year there. He does understand MLS because he spent some time here. He's an interesting name, and he's a big name. And he has shown you know, that he does have things to learn as a manager. But he brings a big personality, and he would be a very interesting hire. I'm not against it. I'm not against it at all. Uh, maybe the lack of experience would be the biggest question mark because he doesn't have a lot. But, man, when you've got experience at, at Chelsea and Champions League and, and what he did there as a manager, not even getting into the, the playing career, that's big. And he does have that MLS understanding, at least from his time here, where some have said he was a bad signing. He actually did score a good number of goals for New York City. He just wasn't always healthy at that point in his career. But you could do far worse. You could do far, far worse. I'm not, I don't have a problem with Frank Lampard if he's the guy. Tony brings up Marcelo Gajardo. Gajardo is going to be a tough one to get right now. And this goes back to what Darren said at halftime on, on television, where he said they were looking at managers who were out of work right now. Because Gajardo's got a contract through the end of the year. 
and Gajardo's got things. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast <sighs> spring is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply on his plate right now like one is winning the Argentine league for the first time because he hasn't done that that's the one missing element to his time at river uh they do have other competitions as well so I don't think Gajardo would walk away at this point and I don't think Atlanta wants to wait until after the season so those are the stumbling blocks as a manager absolutely no problem with bringing in Marcelo Gajardo I think he's a very versatile manager. He's not married to one style or one formation. He will take the best out of the group. They will play good soccer. Gajardo's ready for the next big thing in his career. And most people think that will be Europe. If he came to MLS, it wouldn't be a bad move for him at all. But I don't think it happens until next season. Uh, Andrew wants to know what Ernan Crespo's status is right now. He is still at Sao Paulo. They had a very 
bad league loss over the weekend, and I was kind of wondering if things would come up on him. Um, he went from Defensa y Justicia in Argentina, where he won the Copa Sudamericana, which I think is an incredible accomplishment for a very small team. And they played really wide open, sometimes too wide open soccer. I mean, it was really impressive to see. Um, I like the way he kind of feels the game. I haven't seen Sao Paulo as closely as I saw him at, at Defensa, but they had a 1-0 lead against Flamengo over the weekend. They ended up losing 4-1 late with four goals it was really bizarre there have been some pressure because brazilian managers don't tend to last very long in their spots there's been some talk that he might get pushed out at sao paulo he hasn't yet and that goes back to the whole idea about hiring somebody who is available however he might take a lifeline (laughs) to get out of that situation if it was presented to him and that would be a very interesting conversation he is as young as a manager um, he was at Bonfield first, and it didn't go extremely well. Great at Defensa. Pretty good at Sao Paulo, but the pressure at Sao Paulo is insane. Um, another big personality, big figure in the game. Um, the most attack-minded of the three we've mentioned so far, in my opinion. Um, but no link to MLS. Gajardo played in MLS much further back than Lampard did. He played one season with DC, and he was hurt constantly. Uh, Could have been a great signing for DC at that time. But Crespo has no connection to MLS. That would be the drawback because he he wouldn't have any understanding of the way the league is structured, just what travel's like, those kinds of things. Uh, Robert says he was a big fan of signing Domi Torrant, but others have pointed out that his success at his limited time at NYC is debatable. So what are your thoughts on Toronto? <laughs> debatable? <laughs> um, he's got the best record. He's got the best season there. Uh, his, I, I would say, and I've talked to people about this who follow NYC more closely than I do, I think his, his year and his time at NYC was better than Patrick Vieira. And Ronnie Dyla might prove that wrong, but I think right now... Dolme Tarrant has the best teams, the best era of New York City soccer that, that has been on the field. Uh, Dyla could surpass that. But Tarrant, what I like about him is the time he spent with Pep Guardiola, the ability to walk into this team with the most recent MLS experience of anybody we've talked about, know exactly what the league is like, but also walk into this team in this locker room and know exactly what they've been working on, and what they can tweak. Because it's not that different from things that he's worked on with teams in the past. So I think he would be the most ready-made guy to walk in, make whatever changes need to be made, and win the quickest because of his understanding of everything. That's what's appealing about him. Um, as an individual, yeah, he can be prickly. Yeah, he, he he's not the, the warmest, but I do think he will do all of the media requirements and he'll do everything and he'll be willing to speak. You just might not like what he has to tell you, but he will he will tell you whatever he wants to tell you. Um, but as a soccer mind, I, I love the way he sees the game and uh, I love his time with Pep and what that could bring to the table here. Andrew brings up Ernesto Valverde, uh, says it would continue the Barca mm-hmm. connection with uh, Tata and Frank DeBoer. Yeah, as with Dome, um, Valverde, 
is maybe one of the least Barca-like Barca managers would be one thing to keep in mind. That was one of the big criticisms of him. Uh, and, and it would just go back to the idea that he doesn't have any MLS experience, any understanding of this league and some of the challenges that you go into. And I think in a normal hiring situation like Atlanta had ahead of year one, ahead of uh, Frank DeBoer's first season, even ahead of Gabriel Heinze's season this year, you were bringing in somebody to come in in preseason and they'd have time to learn. Now you don't. You're bringing in somebody to walk in the door and expect to win the next day whenever they show up. That's a different kind of job, and I think it's a different process. In a normal situation where you're going to give them a preseason, I think of Valverde, a Kike Setien, another Barcelona guy. Um, guys like that could be really interesting. Uh, even a Hernan Crespo, who I really like, but I'd, I'd be worried about him coming in midstream. I wonder if the priorities have shifted a little bit to somebody with experience because MLS experience, MLS understanding, because of the job they're being hired for, which is to come in and win and get this team into the playoffs. And it's just it's a different job. So that would be my concern about Valverde and others, too. Well, uh, this is good. I wanted to switch gears uh, and talk about Gold Cup a little. And Mark? has given us the perfect comment on which to pivot. So thank you, I Mark. I like it. Uh, he wants to know our thoughts on how Miles and Bello have performed so far on Gold Cup duty and whether they've improved their chances for a sale to Europe. I, you know, the second part I can't really comment on, but um, if Miles Robinson is not one of the top three center backs in the U.S. player pool right now, I don't know what more he has to do at this tournament to prove that. I, I think he's had two man-of-the-match caliber performances, and, and especially so... Um, on Sunday night against Jamaica, had a role in the build-up to the only goal and uh, had a huge, huge role in the clean sheet. Yeah, he's the, the fourth-highest-rated player in the tournament for the U.S. Uh, behind Vines, and Vines has a goal, which I think might skew his number up just a little bit. Leggett and Turner. Uh, Robinson is next, 7.4, which is a very, very good rating. Um, you dig a little bit deeper into his performances, We've seen this firsthand in Atlanta, 90% passing, uh, 61% on longer passes, all numbers we're used to seeing, an interception per game, 1.8 tackles per game. He's winning those situations like he always does here. 63% of his duels won, 65% in the air. He's been outstanding. And I think Miles Robinson has done the most to change his stock with a potential move to Europe. Because he's an older player than Abello. He's an older player than a lot of the guys we're seeing go to Europe at you know, 19, 20, 21. He's older than that. So I think he needed this to change his stock. I could absolutely see a team coming in for Miles Robinson because I think he's tremendous value for, for some teams that don't have the money to spend on $50 million center backs. You, know, you could come in and get Miles Robinson for much less, and I think you'd get great performances. Um. We'll see what happens. His name has not come up in any rumors that I have seen with a move to Europe. And I haven't seen Bellows either. Bellow hasn't played much in the tournament, so I don't think he's really changed his stock. But Bellow being younger, being a lefty, being a left back, all those things I think put a premium on him. Somebody will come in for Bellow sooner rather than later. I just don't know what that time frame looks like. He just didn't get enough time here. Vines has been good. But I think Bello has a much higher ceiling than Sam Vines, and 
I would have liked to have seen him more. But Vines has been good enough that it's kind of hard to complain. Cotter tomorrow night for the U.S. men's national team. I like the way Cotter has played in this tournament. Like, I, I've enjoyed watching them. I, I think this was a good invitation by CONCACAF to include them. Um, here they are. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> Cash. I, I, I think they've played they, decently. They have been good. Yeah. They've been a fun team I, to watch. They've been okay. Uh, I feel very good about this tomorrow night for the U.S. men's national team, but I, I don't think it's going to be a, a cakewalk either. No, could be goals in it. Um they they have given up goals in this tournament. Uh, the U.S. will will need to to find a few because Qatar scored some goals in this tournament as well. He put up three on El Salvador, which I didn't see coming. Um, can they do that against the U.S.? I don't think so, but I don't think it'll be an easy win for the United States either. Uh, I'm looking at like a three-one kind of a win. I do think they'll concede, uh, which the U.S. has been good defensively in this tournament, but. This has been one of the better attacking teams they're about to face. But I think defensively, that's where Qatar is, is a, a step behind a lot of the top teams in, in this tournament. So I think the U.S. will find a way to get through, but it won't be completely comfortable. Does Mexico have anything to worry about? Yeah, they do because they've been inconsistent in the tournament, but they've gotten better as it's went on. I think they'll be fine. Um, Canada... Might be about as far as they can go right now. Canada can get to the World Cup. Canada can can qualify for that elusive thing that they have only been to one. They've only been to one in 86. They can finish top four in CONCACAF, even if they have to go through the playoff round in the Intercontinental playoffs to get to the World Cup. They can. But past the U.S. and Mexico in CONCACAF, and I don't think it's a big gap to the U.S. and Mexico either, by the way. But past that, Canada... Costa Rica, who Canada defeated here recently, El Salvador, Honduras, Jamaica. There's not a lot to separate those five. I think Panama's a step behind them. But the octagonal for qualifying, U.S. and Mexico should go, but not guaranteed, but should. The next spot, the number three spot, which is an automatic spot, I flip a coin between those five teams and the four spot, which is a playoff spot. Same thing. And you're going to see the U.S. and Mexico drop points to some of those five, especially on the road. This, this qualification process is going to be brutal because of the level of CONCACAF. And I think what we've seen is the U.S. and Mexico have continued to improve, but the growth in Canada because of MLS – the growth in Honduras and Costa Rica because of MLS. Now El Salvador with some players playing in the United States, USL Championship and MLS. Uh, Jamaica with guys in MLS, but also guys playing in England. The level for all of those teams has jumped faster than it has for the U.S. and Mexico. So it's even more competitive. It, it is going to be super intense during the octagonal. So, I mean, could Canada pull an upset on Mexico? Yeah, they could. Mexico is a better team, and they should be able to get through it. But anything is possible in CONCACAF at this stage. Anything. It's, it's not going to be easy. I'm glad you brought up qualifying. It's amazing how you're on the same wavelength as our commenters. A uh, couple people have asked about potential conflict between World Cup qualifying and the MLS Cup playoffs. And Eric wants to know, is there any chance that 
Uh, Atlanta United could be without Robinson, Bello, or Guzan during World Cup qualifying. Uh, yeah, there's a chance they could be with the U.S., but the schedule right now, there are not games during those international breaks. And MLS was very careful not to do that because you're going to cram three games in. What I'm worried about is, and I don't think Bello or Gazan fit into this, but Miles might. I worry about, okay, September, for example. He goes away and he plays in two of the three games for the U.S. And he comes back from international duty and isn't ready to give you 90 in the first game back. Like, he'll be there, but is he going to be ready to give you 90 minutes? And that's the part we just don't know. But I think it's more about Miles, and if it's one player, maybe better way to put it is one position that you might have somebody who's not 100% for a game, that's one that you can deal with, with what Anton Walks has done this season, what Alan Franco is turning into, and what George Campbell has shown us as well. You've got options at center back if Miles can't go 90 the first game back from those breaks. But you're not going to have him with the U.S. while games are being played in MLS. That part won't happen, which is good. It's funny, a week ago tonight when we were in Cincinnati, uh, some of the FCC guys were telling us, yeah, we, we feel pretty good. We might get USA-Mexico here. I thought, ah, get out of here. No way. They're going to keep that in Columbus. Nope. They were right. They were right. They're going to play that in Cincinnati on November the 12th. Uh, has Columbus melted down yet? Are, are they throwing well, all of their skyline chili out into the trash? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I mean, I know the Columbus people have got to be really, really upset for a number of different reasons. <laughs> number one, they lost this fixture to their chief rival. Yes, it's uh, in Cincinnati. That's what's going to upset them. Yeah. And look, I mean, we haven't seen Columbus's stadium yet. We'll be there next weekend. I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. What I saw of Cincinnati's stadium... Yeah, it, it, it's that is a great venue for the national team. That's going to be perfect. It's a 25,000-seat stadium that feels like it seats about 45,000. Mm -hmm. uh, very accessible, lots of premium seating. Um, you know, everything from a, a soccer standpoint is exactly the way you would want it. Absolutely perfect. Um, and, you know, look, it's November in Cincinnati, so... The USA will benefit, hopefully, from some conditions. I know some people have asked me, why can't Atlanta get into the mix for some of these fixtures? I think one of the reasons is U.S. soccer looks at an opportunity to play a warm-weather country in cold weather as an advantage. You lose that advantage when you play indoors. There are other reasons, too, but I think that's part of it. But uh, That's part of it. I was, I was surprised, but I get it, to see that USA-Mexico uh, fixture going to Cincinnati. Good for them. That's uh, a great sell job by Cincinnati to get that game because that's the, the crown jewel of qualifying to get that one because guaranteed sellout, guaranteed intensity, guaranteed international stage. Uh, that's, that's a big game to get for Cincinnati. I think it shows you that when you look at these 2026 potential cities for the World Cup, Cincinnati's on the list and we haven't really known where to put them. Cincinnati yeah. is very highly thought of by U.S. soccer, and they might be more of a World Cup city than maybe we think because of this yeah. game ended up there. Now, they won't play World Cup at, at TQL. They'll play it at, at Paul Brown Stadium, the, the Bengals Stadium. But as a city, to get this game, it's a big statement. It's a very big statement. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think you could have a pod of – remember, I, I get the feeling that the way – 
the World Cup organizers want to situate this is they want to keep group play within relative geographic proximity, and they want to keep as many teams in a group in the same time zone as possible. And I, I understand that Nashville is in the central time zone, but if you look at a pod of Atlanta, Nashville, Cincinnati, that from a travel standpoint, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's only about a 40-minute flight from Atlanta to Cincinnati. Uh, obviously, even shorter to Nashville, it's even drivable. Um, it just it, it would make a lot of sense. And, and I'm with you. I kind of I downplayed Cincinnati I as a potential World Cup host uh, in the same way that maybe I've incorrectly downplayed Baltimore. It just felt like there were a couple cities in that mix that didn't have as strong a chance as like a Miami or an Atlanta or a Dallas or uh, a New York or L.A., but I think you make a really, really good point when you zero in on, and, and for that matter, this could benefit Denver as well. If you zero in on the cities where U.S. soccer likes to have World Cup qualifiers, uh, that might give you a little bit of a hint of uh, you know where they want to go in 2026. I'll continue to downplay Baltimore. I don't, I don't think they get it, and I think we haven't really seen them get big games, and that's why. Uh, I think... Cincinnati has got to be looked at as a more possible World Cup city because of getting this game. I don't have a problem with it moving. Um, people kept it in Columbus not just because of a, a, a home field advantage and those sorts of things. Uh, you know, you're not at the same venue anymore. I don't think they changed it because of a bad result last time. I, I think times have changed a little bit, and you can sell more tickets in Cincinnati. Basically, you can make more money on it, but still keep it a very pro-U.S. crowd. And that's the goal in qualifiers. Like, if it's a friendly, go play it in the biggest venue you possibly can and sell every ticket and make all the money. That's great. For a qualifier where results matter, play it in a place where you can control the ticketing. And and a 26,000-seater, which is bigger than the old Columbus Stadium, which is bigger than the new Columbus Stadium, you're going to get more fans in, but still be able to sell it to your U.S. soccer base. Hopefully, people on that list don't buy these tickets and then resell them to Mexican fans. Hopefully, that doesn't yeah. happen. There will be a, a dedicated number for Mexican supporters, but it's not anywhere near a, a majority. And that's what you want in a qualifier. You want home field advantage. Cincinnati will provide it in a big way. I mean, Shiva asked the question, why isn't Atlanta in the mix for some of these U.S. men's national team qualifiers? I wonder if maybe the venue's too big. Um, I don't, I mean, maybe that could factor in, especially for Mexico. But if it's U.S. and really anybody else, like you could get a large crowd from El Salvador. You could get a large crowd from Jamaica. You could get a large crowd from Honduras. Uh Definitely don't underestimate the number of Hondurans and Salvadorans within driving distance of Atlanta. It's, it's a large community that would come out in big numbers. Um, maybe Panama would be a good one for, for Atlanta because there's not as big of a Panamanian community in the southeast. That would be a good one. I don't think it's that, though. I think more than anything is these other cities that are getting these games, somebody is driving the bid process to get it. Cincinnati's very aggressive to try to get this game. They had to really outbid Columbus to, to get there and show why it should be in Cincinnati. Who would be driving that process for Atlanta? Is it the stadium? Is it the sports council, which generally does the big events come into town, which I would think a qualifier would be? Um, 
those kinds of things. Who would be driving it, and are they? And then the second level question is, would the U.S. play one of those games on turf, or then are you increasing the amount of money you're spending by bringing in grass and in the financials? Does that part work? Um, there's not easy answers to any of that, and I just don't know the process well enough to say why Atlanta's not in that mix. Atlanta was in the mix with CONCACAF previously because the president of CONCACAF uh, had a home here. He did launder some money into that home or one of his homes here. And he said, because he told me that he wanted to bring a, a Gold Cup final to Atlanta, and he probably would have. Well, he's, uh, he's not in any kind of position of power anymore, and there maybe is a little bit of backlash <laughs> to that. And that's why Atlanta didn't even get Gold Cup, which is a CONCACAF property, which is separate from U.S. soccer. Because, remember, it was quarterfinals in 13, and then it was semifinals in 15. Yeah, it was semifinal when they lost to Jamaica. Yeah, that was semis in 15. But they had the quarterfinals with Mexico here in 13, a doubleheader. So it was moving up that ladder. Like, I think Atlanta would have had a Gold Cup final if not for uh, Jeffrey Webb getting busted. (laughs) You know. Uh, So I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, he was the one pushing it for Atlanta. Which, you know, you don't have that now in CONCACAF probably for the best. And you don't have anybody here that we know of, because I just don't know the process. I don't know if Atlanta United would push for that to host it and and be really driving that. I don't know if it's the stadium leadership and management. I don't know if it's a sports council or or an outside agency. I just don't know. I hope it happens soon because we have not had a U.S. game in Atlanta booked by U.S. soccer because the CONCACAF game doesn't count. That was CONCACAF. It could have been anybody. We haven't had a U.S. game here in Atlanta since 1977 booked mm. by U.S. soccer. That's crazy. There's only been two, 77 against China, and that was a kind of a test to see where Atlanta was as a soccer market to try to bring an NASL team back. And 1968, a qualifier against Canada at the old Atlanta Stadium, and that was mainly because Phil Woosnam, the, the manager of the, the U.S. team, had taken over because he won the title with the Chiefs, and he was based in Atlanta. He's like, yeah, we're playing the game here. That's it. Nothing else. So U.S. soccer, hey, come on down. That's shocking. That really is shocking. Um, Turf is probably a big part of it. I see Michael Head's It's part of it. I think that's a big, big factor right now because there is a tremendous expense in putting a temporary grass surface down, but it has been done. Yeah, but it, it has been done and it can be done. Yep. Uh, it's just it's costly. Most recently for a qualifier, I think it was in Seattle in 2017. They had a qualifier in Seattle and I I'm almost positive they put grass down over the turf. Uh, it might have been Panama, actually, in, in 2017 yeah. in Seattle. But they did that in the last cycle. And if you're going to do that for Seattle. Hi, we'd like to see you, too. Right. Okay, running out of time. Uh, we're going to talk about the Orlando match in a moment. Quick thought on the women's national team. Um, got the result that I guess they needed to get. Um, not a very fun match to watch against Australia, but they, they got the result they needed to get. Now they're in the knockout round against the uh, returning World Cup finalist, Holland. There is no guarantee they get out of the quarterfinal. The Netherlands are good. And they're better than they were two years ago in the World Cup final. I, they were the team that I did not want to see at this point. Um, 
the U.S. looks like it's stuck between generations. And mm-hmm. that's the, the challenge here for Vlatko Andonovsky right now because this team just – I don't think he settled on an 11. I don't know if he has the players that he wants in all the positions. I don't know if he really has the – ability to fight some of the politics about player selection with the U.S. Women's National Team because it's still there. It's not quite as bad as it was before, but it's there. Um, I don't know what decisions he's going to make for the lineup against the Netherlands, but if they had won the group, they would be playing Japan. That's an easier matchup than than the Netherlands. Um, Australia finished third. They went into the match with Great Britain. I would potentially rather play Great Britain than the Netherlands. So this is a really tough out. Um, to play either Canada or Brazil in a semifinal, if the U.S. gets through, that maybe is a little bit easier, but they got to get through first. And they have not looked like a team so far in this tournament that is capable of beating a team at the caliber of the Netherlands. I hope that I hope I'm wrong. I hope they, they flip the switch and play like we know they're capable of. But they have not looked like the same team that won the World Cup in 2019 at all. And it's got to be concerning for Vlatko Andonovsky going into a game against the Netherlands who have scored goals for fun in this tournament. They played two bad teams. But go back and watch the the Netherlands-Brazil game, the 3-3 draw. Brazil is better than Sweden, better than Australia, better than New Zealand. The Netherlands were straight up with them in a game that could have went either way. And they scored plenty on Brazil. I think they can score on a leaky U.S. defense, and I don't know if the U.S. can score enough to keep up. I was looking down just to see if uh, any match notes or injury reports or anything like that have come through yet for Friday, and they have not. Uh, but, you know, Orlando shorthanded, just got shelled by New York City. There is a report out of Peru, and Orlando City has not acknowledged this yet, about Pedro Galese. He's being reported as out for three weeks in Peruvian media. They're worried because that would mean he'd go into World Cup qualifiers with no playing beforehand uh, or not much. And that was pretty widely reported in Peru. But Orlando City has not spoken on that yet. Yeah, uh, they were really shorthanded against uh, New York City. They lost 5-0. They got shelled. Um, Now, they do have Mauricio Pereira coming back from – is Mauricio or Andres? Mauricio, Mauricio coming back. Mauricio um, Pereira. Uh, suspension. Uh, if Galassi could not go, I guess that would mean. God, who who's their backup keeper right now? I'm. I'm. Um, They've got somebody in on loan, um, who has played a decent bit when Galassi was away during the Copa America. Uh, Brandon Austin, if I remember correctly. Um, he is on loan at the moment from Tottenham, 22 years old. Yeah. Played five games uh, so far in the league. He has given up some goals in his five. He's had some good and some bad. Got a clean sheet against San Jose in the big 5-0 win. Um, 3-2 win over Toronto, a 2-1 win over Miami, a 2-1 loss to the Red Bulls, and a 3-1 loss to Chicago. Those were his last two games, two losses. Right, and you've given some recent results in which Atlanta has get or Atlanta Orlando has given up quite a few goals. I think they're 
kind of reverting back to old Orlando a little bit with their shakiness in the back. They do have quality up top, obviously. I, I know there's some speculation that Ponto might be back in the mix for them and potentially yeah, starting up top yeah. on Friday night. Um, but it's a match at Orlando. Those are never easy. Atlanta United played them to a scoreless draw in Orlando in April. I know there is a lot of talk after that match about how Atlanta United really struggled in the conditions. It's different playing at night as opposed to yeah. during the day, but it sounds like it might actually even be hotter Friday night than it was during the day on April 25th when Atlanta United played down there. So um, not going to be easy, but I think there's a decent chance Atlanta United can get a result out of this. Yeah, with Orlando coming off of a 5-0 loss to NYC where – they didn't really have a whole lot of attackers available. Okay, I get that's going to be a challenge to score goals, but they had most of their first-choice defensive group available, and they looked horrendous defensively. I mean, just awful. Um, they've added Emmanuel Moss from last with Boca Juniors. He played in that game, didn't look great. Uh, Janssen played the second half in that game. Uh, he's got a broken nose that he's dealing with, so he's wearing a mask. Uh, but Antonio Carlos, Rodrigo Schlegel, Kyle Smith, they've played a ton this season. Uh, Joao Moutinho is back playing games, but maybe not 100% yet. Uh, midfield, you know, Joey Desart played against NYC, didn't look great. Uri Rossell is more of a possession guy. They struggled there. Perea really struggled. Andres Perea really struggled against NYC. But uh, you do have to worry about them in the attack. Let's, let's say Pato doesn't play. Sylvester Vandervater is a very good, tricky winger, very good on the dribble, a new signing from the Netherlands. Alexander Alvarado hasn't really gotten going yet in MLS, but a very talented young player who showed really well in South America before coming here. Benji Michel is always a player that I've appreciated a lot up top. I think he's better wide, but he will likely get the start up top if Pato doesn't because Daryl DK is away with national team duty. Tesho Akindeli is away on national team duty. So you're looking to Michelle to play up top. He's going to drop off a little bit, and I want to see how Atlanta takes advantage of that, maybe gets more numbers forward like NYC did. Okay, uh, 7.30 Friday night. We'll be on the air from Orlando for the Five Stripes Countdown. Kickoff at 8 o'clock. Tomorrow we'll have the AT&T Countdown to kickoff on Atlanta United's YouTube page. And a week from today, knock on wood, we think – we're going to be in Montreal, uh, covert ops across the border because apparently it's <laughs> not that not covert. No, but it's not very. Uh, I kind of feels like covert ops, it isn't it? Does. Like it, we have to go through quite a few hoops to get into Canada right now. So uh, it's going to feel a little weird and dystopian being an American behind the border in Quebec. But uh, <laughs> uh, that's where we think we will be for stoppage time. Next Wednesday, again, same time, uh, 2 o'clock on the 92.9 The Game Facebook page. So we hope you will join us for that. Like we said at the start of the show, very eventful 48 hours of the soccer world upcoming. So uh, buckle up and stick with us for all the uh, reaction and analysis that we can possibly give you. We'll be back with you at stoppage time next week. But we've got a game in between. The twos play tonight as well, ESPN+. Plus. So the game is in Kennesaw. If you're looking for something to do this evening, come on out to Fifth Third Bank Stadium. Atlanta United 2 and Tulsa, really curious to see how many first-team players might participate in that one who maybe don't make the trip to Orlando and play against Tulsa tonight. Uh, the twos then play again on Saturday in Birmingham. 
So John Nelson and I will be on the call for the game tonight. ESPN Plus is where you can watch. You can come out to Fifth Third Bank Stadium if you're looking for something to do this evening. So hopefully we'll see you. We'll see you with stoppage time next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.